in the shadow of the valley I would like to settle down Wide open space Wind on my face A distant horizon The moon on the Hello and welcome to the Canaan Rinse podcast. This is Volume 5, Issue 246 on Fallout New Vegas. You can play along with Canaan Rinse Volume 5, what remains of it. Uh, the, the remaining four games, Metropolis Street Racer, then MDK, then The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass, and Bloodborne. And that's it for Volume 5. More news to be coming on uh, Volume 6, I'm sure, in the not-too-distant future, but those are the four remaining uh, games in, in this particular volume. You can head to CanaanRinse.com for articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, our Facebook page, and our YouTube channel, and news on what other games are coming in the future, although nothing beyond Bloodborne yet. If you enjoy what we do, there are a number of ways in which you can support us. We do have a Patreon, but don't worry, there's no content hidden behind paywalls or anything along those lines. If you don't wish or aren't able to contribute, everything that we produce will still be free and available to everyone. However, if you do believe the many hours of podcasts we produce for your listening pleasure are worth something financial in return, uh, uh, consider it a tip. You can now donate $1 or more if you wish per month, which will help us keep doing what we do. You can find the Patreon at patreon.com slash If you prefer to get something tangible in return for your hard-earned money, check out our shop where you can support the podcast by purchasing Cane and Rinse t-shirts and bags. That's found at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash Cane and Rinse. Please also check out our video games music podcast, Sound of Play. You can review, rate and subscribe to both podcasts on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio or TuneIn. Pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, you should be able to pick up both of them. My name's James Carter, and in issue 246, I am joined by Sean O'Brien. Hello, hello. And Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Very quickly, it's worth saying, uh, Sean, you and I were on way back, oh, it seems like ages ago <laughs> yeah, now, 2012. <laughs> in uh, It was volume one, issue 35, we covered Fallout 3. Obviously, it's worth pointing out to anyone listening, you can go back and listen to, to that one before this, if you like. Um, but Leon, as he always does, is excellent at covering... Uh, series history when we when we cover a game that has predecessors so we're going to try and not retread very at this point old ground um, but we can maybe address our own history with the series uh, when, when we talk about our, our particular backgrounds to this game um, which maybe Josh if you could start us off with your history with Fallout New Vegas. Fallout 3 for me was a game of firsts in that it was both my first Fallout game that I'd ever played and also the first Bethesda-style RPG uh, I had mm. ever played. I was simultaneously getting introduced to this 1950s-inspired post-apocalyptic world while also mm. kind of getting a sense of what 
Bethesda was doing in the Western RPG sphere. And, you know, I had heard a lot about, you know, Oblivion. I, I never really got, you know, sank my teeth into that game for various reasons. Um, I, I, I struggle with uh, Bethesda's art direction pre-Skyrim. Mm. It's nothing to do with graphics or the technical stuff. I just am not a huge fan of their <laughs> character designs or, mm-hmm. or architecture and stuff like that. But because Fallout 3 is already kind of drawing from previous games' art direction, um, I mm. think it kind of uh, edged out Bethesda's previous games in that regard. So when Fallout New Vegas was doing the rounds in terms of preview coverage and stuff like that, I was excited for this. Like, yes, I, I'm totally ready for a, you know a, a dip back into this world and 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 this kind of atmosphere and this approach mm. to RPG design. But then the reviews started to roll out. And um, a lot of them were complaining about massive technical issues, which I'm sure we'll get onto, and um, various other things. But basically, the reviews put me off. And I didn't play this game for a good long while after it <laughs> uh, was released. As the, you know, the game got further away from launch, the conversation around it evolved and changed, and various critics that um not just critics but just friends and people i trust were starting to say that look new vegas has all these technical issues but the script the dialogue all of that stuff are so strong as to be worth recommending in spite of those issues (laughs) and that got me curious and then i ended up playing Fallout New Vegas. Um, I can't remember exactly when that was, but it, originally it was the uh, 360 version, and then yeah. since then I, I've bought the PC version and played it on PC as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, and Sean? I loved Fallout 3. Well, it took me a while to get to it, as anyone who listens to the Fallout 3 show will know. It, it took me a while to, mm. to really sink my teeth into it, and I walked away from that just absolutely loving that game. So I was um, when they announced New Vegas... I was immediately sold, like a new Fallout and taking place in one of my favorite cities. Like I've only been to Vegas twice in my life. And of course, it's not the same Vegas, <laughs> yeah. depending on your perspective, I guess. But uh, Pure super mutants. <laughs> yeah. Just I love the vibe of Vegas in general. So I just kind of, I don't know, I was just really excited for the whole idea of a Fallout in that area of America rather than like the polar opposite in a way of, of Fallout 3. So yeah, mm. I was psyched. I got it day one like an idiot on PS3 and then have since played it on... Uh, Xbox One with backwards compatibility. Excellent. Um, for myself, I guess my history's quite a bit like yours, Josh, in that uh, this was ostensibly, well, certainly my first Bethesda game. Uh, I hadn't played any of the Elder Scrolls series before that, being the kind of main place that people would have encountered them. And although I'd seen and I think played a tiny bit of, of Fallout kind of at a friend's house, type situation it was pretty much my first fallout game um i was aware of the originals and knew a little bit about their tone and style and mechanics but this being so different it kind of felt like it was a complete restart on everything for me when new vegas came out i know at the time there was a lot of concerns over the fact that it felt like it was coming very quickly on the heels of fallout 3 and maybe Mm. was a little uh rushed and there's multiple facets to that those uh assertions i guess um but i i didn't feel that way when i started playing it uh at launch in october 2010 but for a couple of reasons the, the main one i think being hardcore mode 
I was a little bit down on the game. Uh, this was back before uh, Kane and Rince, obviously, and I was uh, doing a bit of writing for uh, GamerDork, where, where Leon first knew of me, I suppose. Um, and I I reviewed the game and was kind of... There was a lot of stuff I liked about it, but there was it, it was very... I am contrasting this with Fallout 3, a mm. game I adored, and it didn't fare so well on first blush. But more through just time than actually replaying it, revisiting it, just my memories of it have kind of flourished over the years to the point where having thought about it and gone back to it, having, you know, sat and, and replayed certain bits and sections and, and missions, um, I've just really kind of adored it. And and it's a strange one where I kind of played it a lot six years ago and wasn't immediately struck by it. Have either of you had uh, experience with Obsidian's work before this? Because that might also play into a little bit of the history, I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's worth saying right now that there is mm. a different developer on Fallout New Vegas. It's Obsidian Entertainment, um, who I guess we will know from um, Knights of the Old Republic 2, Neverwinter Nights 2, Alpha Protocol, and since this game, South Park, Stick of Truth, Pillars of Eternity, and very recently, Tyranny. But yeah, they they popped out of Black Isle Studios, so therefore I guess we also need to talk about Icewind Dale, Planescape Torment, Fallout 2, plus some work on Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2. I have not played anything before I played this game. I've since mm. played South Park Stick of Truth. So yeah, no, this was this was also first Obsidian game for me. Same here. Um, I, I, I not touched any of uh, Black Isle Studios games or any games that Obsidian have made um, since they reformed under that name. Um, yeah, so Fallout New Vegas is in fact the only Obsidian game I've completed. Uh, for me, it was um, Alpha Protocol I had played, and I absolutely still to this day love Alpha Protocol. So I'd, I'd mm. forgotten about that when talking about my history. But yeah, knowing that there was the same team behind, or yeah. you know, same developer at least behind Alpha Protocol, mm. I was... I knew that, or I had a good feeling about the script, at least, because the writing in Elf Protocol, uh, for me, is a huge standout. So f- for you guys, something that I think was fair to say in the build-up to Fallout New Vegas being released, there were a lot of kind of preconceptions and, and uh, almost rumors floating around about the game. But it's fair to say that Obsidian were kind of lauded as quote-unquote original developers coming back to the Fallout series mm. um, because... Fallout 3 being made by Bethesda, that was completely separate to Interplay's original game and then Black Isle's sequel. But the Obsidian were also kind of being... It was both a positive and seemingly a disparaging comment. I don't know if that's just me. Uh, that, that they were seen as sequel specialists to Bethesda, Bioware, and I guess Interplay for, for Fallout. Um, it, there was definitely this notion, I, I got the feeling on podcasts I was listening to, and this is all, you know, um, anecdotal, obviously, I, it's six years ago, I can't remember, um, but I definitely got the feeling that because of KOTOR 2, Neverwinter Nights 2, Fallout 2, they were seen as somehow just these people you put on a sequel you didn't want to make yourself. But then other people were saying, well, they made great sequels to these great games. Yeah, let's get them on Fallout. You know? <laughs> uh, so it was just there was just this bizarre thing where I, th- I think, despite the fact I'm sitting here saying I had no familiarity with Obsidian and very little with Fallout before Fallout 3, there were all these sort of expectations and things that a different developer meant for uh, this game. So the, the publisher in this case is obviously Bethesda Softworks and... Um, I guess pretty much since 
Fallout 3 and during and after the release of this game, um, Bethesda took to expanding their publishing beyond their own games. So mm-hmm. we had uh, games like uh, Wet, struggling to think of any others. Dishonored. Yeah, sure. Yeah, both of those. Uh, well, actually Dishonored, not so much, but yeah, more more recently as well. So from 2008 onwards, I think they really expanded their um, their publishing. And in the case of, of this game, they were, they'd moved on from Fallout 3 to, to Skyrim to developing that and wanted someone else to to produce a sequel to, to Fallout 3. And so Josh Sawyer, who is a director of this game and also designer on a bunch of uh, both Black Isle and Obsidian, Obsidian's previous games, uh, and has since been director and lead designer on Pillars of Eternity. Producers Mikey Dowling, Jason Fader, Matt Singh, Teresa Treadwell... Writer is listed as John R. Gonzalez, but Chris Avalon has done interviews where he's talked about how they put together the game and, and got the story together, etc. So that writing credit comes from Wikipedia, so it may be that that's perfectly correct. Uh, it may not be, but Chris Avalon wasn't listed there, but I've seen at least two interviews with him where he's talking about conceptions they had for the game and story and writing dialogue and stuff like that. So Composer is surely going to be of, of note here. Mm-hmm. Inon Zur who has a massive, massive credit <laughs> list on TV. Power Rangers stood out to me because I'm an idiot, <laughs> but there's there's like anime series and, and movies. Uh, there's live action um, mm-hmm. film and TV as well, and loads of video games, including some of the games we've talked about, uh, Bethesda, Bioware, and Ubisoft games, just all over the place. Way too much to mention. But also noted that uh, this game includes some music from Fallout and Fallout 2, which was composed by Mark Morgan. Uh, The game was released, Xbox 360, PS3 and PC, uh, the 19th to 22nd of October 2010, depending upon your particular territory. So we are recording this uh, not not four days after, uh, no, not one week after even, its six-year anniversary. The Ultimate Edition came to the same three platforms in February 2012. And again, I just thought it worth mentioning because something I remember at the time in yeah. late 2011 when it was mentioned was, oh, they can't call it a Game of the Year edition because <laughs> it didn't win Game of the Year. Yeah, and yeah. so there was, I can only find one article where it was the actual news report where someone had made some sideways comment about the fact that it's weirdly named Ultimate Edition because, uh-huh. you know. Um, but I remember that being, uh, unsurprisingly, I suppose, snarky comment leveled mm-hmm. at it. As you can tell, with all of this history and all of this backstory and all of the kind of expectations, there's kind of a lot of information on the development history of of the game. Uh, Jason Schreier at Kotaku uh, wrote an article called The Knights of New Vegas, which is ostensibly about Obsidian, but was written in the aftermath of New Vegas and had a lot about that. The Obsidian did a lot of reworking of their original Fallout 3 plans uh, called Van Buren was the mm. code name for that game uh, that they were in development for and then some people left to go make, to go and form Obsidian. Uh, this was at Black Isle and Black Isle continued to, to, to produce that but Interplay basically at that point were unable to proceed with the game which then led years later to Bethesda picking up the rights to the sequel and then the rights to the entire series. Of note is the fact that this game had an 18-month development cycle. That's been mentioned several times, not least of all by people at Obsidian, I'm sure, who want to yeah. say, look, <laughs> we put together a massive game. 
yes, it's got bugs, but we did not have a lot of time, and it wasn't yeah. obviously their engine either. And excuses, excuses, that doesn't affect the end consumer. They still have to put up with the bugs, mm. but it, it's worth saying, um, not least of all because that means that this went into production about six months after Fallout 3 was released, whilst Fallout 3 DLC was still coming out. That probably explains some of the feeling that perhaps this game came too quickly in that people had been playing Fallout 3 for a full year after its release and still getting new content for that. And the the last development fact I have for us is that this game contains 65,000 lines of dialogue, which was at the time a Guinness World Record and beat the previous world record holder, which was Fallout 3 that had 40,000 lines of dialogue. That, that kind of wraps up my piece on development of the game. It's probably mm. worth saying that we are about to get into uh, not just our feelings on the game, but some pretty significant detail on uh, story and on characters and endings and cast and all sorts of stuff like that. So if you do not want to receive spoilers for the game, turn around now. If you do, let's soldier forward to talk about the game's visuals. Josh, having played Fallout 3 and firing up New Vegas, albeit a little after release, how did you feel about the game's look? You've already mentioned the uh, the art style of uh, Bethesda, but how did this game match up? Visually, I think New Vegas is a bit of an inconsistent bag for me in that there's some stuff in this game that I think is absolutely gorgeous. So, for example, uh, when you first kind of wander out into the desert and you see, you know, these little whirlwinds, kind of small whirlwinds going across the desert and you're just soaking in the atmosphere. And and this is kind of partly the audio design as well, working in tandem with that. Mm-hmm. But um, all of that stuff really drew me into the world and and sold me on the fact that I was, you know, traversing this vast wasteland. And I think some of the um, designs for some of the um, equipment and, and armor looks really great. Yeah. But for example, yeah. the Californian Ranger who's on the, you know, the front box and, and is used in all of the advertising for this game. I, I don't, there's a reason why, because that, that armor looks amazing. It Incredibly is so striking. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's much, to me is much more visually striking than the um, iconic power armor that the series has become associated mm. with. That ranger mm. outfit is just really slick and uh, and just appeals to my aesthetic sensibilities. That being said, I think, and this is going to be my one big weakness with New Vegas, because I think the rest of this podcast, I'm going to be very, very positive. Um, but the environments and the world just are nowhere near as striking to me um, as Fallout 3. And I hate to, you know, there's a temptation to constantly compare these games, but I think here it's really valid. If there's one thing that Bethesda does really, really well, and I I criticise Bethesda for a lot of things, but if there's one thing I think they nail... It's environments, like yeah. creating really compelling environments. Mm-hmm. I I think Skyrim is a game that I just I've completely fallen out of love with. 
mm-hmm. that every time I load it up and play it for the first five minutes, I'm struck <laughs> by yeah. how impressive the environment they've created yeah. is before I realize there's no one in that environment I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> with New Vegas, is kind of the opposite the issue, opposite. Is, mm. is that... The world is all right. It's okay. It's functional. It looks okay. But it's filled with people I actually care about and actually (laughs) want to talk to and actually want to engage with. So... On the visual front, um, I think it's the minor stuff, the you know the micro details that really sell me on the game. But mm. the macro stuff, just like the environments, the you know, New Vegas, the city strip looks all right, but everything outside of it and in and around it kind of looks very blocky and designed in a way that Bethesda yeah. somehow yeah. managed to avoid. They managed to make environments that flow together quite organically i'm I'm, of course like if you saw it from a bird's eye view that statement would seem ridiculous but as you're traversing through fallout 3 it feels like it flows together whereas here it feels like you're going to another level Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. even though it's meant to be an open world playing devil's advocate fallout 3 was set and again, we are going to have to contrast and compare apologies if that uh, gets anyone's back up. We'll try and keep it to, to a minimum. But mm-hmm. um, Fallout 3 was set in a ruined, very well-known location, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which means that there was kind of that, and I hate to use the marketing term, destroyed beauty aspect to the city um, in that you're seeing fairly well-known landmarks, but just absolute devastation around them Uh, and that means that a lot of the stuff that you are creeping around spotting super mutants is wreckage of buildings which inherently is probably going to look less angular and less geometrically simple um, and is also going to add a a type of elevation to your surroundings where you do feel like you're in amongst this city and this these piles of rubble and everything and you're uncovering new stuff that you can't see whereas new vegas inherently by the story they've set up, which their choice is a city that has not been destroyed. Mm-hmm. And it's also on a very flat, open desert like yeah. area, mm-hmm. which means that you don't necessarily have the type of elevation. You don't necessarily have the density of buildings to offer mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more interest to the, to the area. Yeah. I mean, ultimately we're talking about a video game with super mutants and two headed boars. Like if it, they wanted yeah. to, if they wanted to, they probably could have added a little bit more, uh, in 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 light of the realism like they <laughs> sure yeah entirely their choice yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah. sean how did you feel about the visuals when you first mm. first saw the game um i i honestly would agree 100 percent with what josh said at no point was i really uh floored i guess i, I mm. one thing that i um go, going back to what josh was saying about how bethesda nails environments more like Something I, that really specifically stands out in my mind in Fallout is like in Fallout Three, rather. Again, sorry, but we're gonna—it's gonna almost unavoidable. It's um, gonna happen. Yeah. yeah, it's you'd come across a, a, you know, a hill, and you'd go over, and then you'd see like in the distance, you'd see something like that struck your eye, and you're like, oh, I can mm-hmm. go over there and check that out. And in my mind, that only happened twice in New Vegas, which mm. is when you see the strip for the first time. And when you see, uh, I can't remember what the name of the city is, but there's those two giant guys uh, shaking hands. Oh, it's the Mojave Outpost. Yeah. Near yeah. The, relatively near the beginning of the yeah, game. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The two giant statues. Yeah. 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 The, and, the NCR Outpost. Yeah. And those, those are only like still 
even mm. though I was just playing it this week, the only two moments that like really stuck out to me. The interesting stuff about the design, yeah, the, the armors and stuff. Mm. I don't know about you guys, given you're playing a specific character in this game, I was kind of really disappointed that I wasn't playing the guy on the front of the box or the, mm. the woman on the front of the box, you know, the character on the front of the box. Yeah. Because that character looks amazing. And then I click the right stick and there I am in my pajamas. <laughs> Brilliant. You know, yeah. there is something about the character design in this game. When I went to, to replay it uh, last week, started up and I'm like, I can't wait to see Benny standing there mm-hmm. in the opening, you know, mm-hmm. Matthew Perry and, and see it all. It's like, yeah, it's Matthew Perry's voice. Yeah, I think I think he's doing a, a, a good job uh, portraying the character and everything. But that character looks plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's just the, the era, it, you know, it came from mm-hmm. where they were trying to do so much but couldn't maybe get the grit and the dirt and those sort of super te- the textures that sit over the top to, to sort of give everything a bit extra shadow, a bit extra realism and just make it look... It's just flat and it's really disappointing. As I say, that may just be a graphical horsepower type thing and the engine may just not have been up to it then, but... I don't think it's just that. I mean, yeah. w- one of my other issues that um, uh, I didn't bring up when I would mm. uh, when I was just first talking about my first impressions, but animation is a huge issue um, yeah. in uh, yeah. New Vegas and Fallout Three. Just actually, this is a problem yeah. they both they both share. But like the characters move so stiffly and without yeah. any kind of personality or. Just, they're just a yeah. bunch of automatons, you know, yeah. walking across you can, the landscape. You can almost see the animation points at each joint, and yeah. that's the only place that <laughs> yeah. moves. Yeah, no, yeah, I know what you mean. And I always bring this up as an example of like how much character good animation can add. Um, mm-hmm. The first Metal Gear Solid, because the actual character models in that game just blocks. They're, they're, bl- <laughs> they're just blocks, and they yeah. the blank faces and all of that. But they're animated so well that they convey yeah. so much. Per- like you get a sense of Snake's personality and his his you know demeanor just through the way yeah. that really simple model just moves around and interacts with other people and interacts with the world. Whereas with these people, and I, you know, credit to the writers because the, mm-hmm. it's all on their shoulders. You're you're only getting you know, a sense of who these people are through their voices and what they say. And that's it, really. And the actors, we should say as well. Writers and actors are, are doing the job there. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know if there was. I didn't get a sense there was any kind of motion capture going on here. What I will say is I think the audio made up for that for me. Yeah. Um, that sense of, particularly because it's Vegas, but obviously the Fallout games and, and Fallout 3 is the one I'm really referring to. They have that aspect of this world as a time capsule of the 50s, of that era of post-war uh, hope, but also the the sort of pre-Cold War paranoia and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the fact that this is set in Vegas means you get the show tunes, you get that <laughs> suave, mm-hmm. stylish, sophisticated Rat Pack is is my yep. touchstone. Never been to Vegas, don't know the place, so it's what is presented to me in this sort of really sort of cliched, I suppose, aspects to it that that ring true for me. But and that's the thing about uh, that portrayal of Benny at the beginning that I remember. It's the suave Rat Pack style, basically gangster standing there uh, with all the sort of vocal affectations you would expect and all of that threat and intimidation you would expect, and it all just captures that sort of 
showy, flashy um, aspect and having not just the voice acting, but the music. And I, I think, Josh, you mentioned it as well, some actually pretty decent sound design on that, which you need to feel like you're in a world. You need to feel like you're in this vast open space. A lot of games get away with um, poor visual design when they have great sound design mm-hmm. because it can fill in a lot of gaps in immersion that aren't being filled by visuals. I think mm. sound design is so important for making you feel like you're actually in a place. And, you know, to New Vegas's credit, I think it does a really compelling job of making you feel like you're in the middle of a, you know, a, a wasteland. <laughs> I don't actually listen to the radios in this game, which mm. I've been told is um, a bit of a shame because the music choices are, um, by all accounts, incredible. But um, I just like soaking in the 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 ambient sound that's mm. that's in New Vegas. I, mm-hmm. I think they've done a really great job here, and I have to say, not many open world games nail this. Um, I think Rockstar nail it. Um, I think CD Projekt Red do, but outside of that, um, sound design is actually kind of a stumbling block for a lot of open world games in general. Mm. Um, I I think. I like um, Sleeping Dogs quite a bit, but um, mm. Sleeping Dogs sound design at points does actually take me out of the experience a little bit. Mm. And yeah, you know, credit to credit to these guys that I think they've done a fantastic job. And I think there's something about open world games where you have to kind of go awful phrase, go big or go home, because you tend to be talking about games you're going to be spending fifty hours in. You tend to be talking about games where you're going to potentially see a lot of repetitive stuff, and what you can't have is the audio reinforcing the fact that all these NPCs look the same or incidental, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, members of the public or civilians or whatever um, look the same. You can't have the audio reinforce that by having the same song repeating on the radio or the same audio cues or the same uh, voice uh, clips always playing when you interact with someone. I don't listen to the radio on the Pip-Boy either, but you still pick up some incidental radio in certain environments where there happens to be a radio and you hear hear the music Um mainly because I'm usually sneaking about and I don't want a radio playing whilst I'm doing that to yeah. hear everything and try and avo- avoid whatever monstrosity is about to attack me. <laughs> so I already mentioned the uh, the opening. I don't know how you guys feel about this, so I'll just sort of say it and see what your response is. I think Bethesda have what is kind of a staple prison, or in the case of Fallout 3, vault escape. But essentially, it, it's a prison. You're you're going from one life to being released into a new one, which gives you the sort of blank slate protagonist mm-hmm. situation um, in order to introduce you to the world and then have that moment where they push you out into it and suddenly everything is yours to do. Um, and I, I think... Skyrim was the point at which everyone said, well, yeah, of course you're a prisoner and then you get yourself (laughs) free. You know, of course you do. It's a Bethesda game. I think this is in some ways is is similar, but actually it's pretty importantly different to that in, in several key ways. You know, you start off getting that intro, you see a grave being dug and then you realize when you come to and see your hands bound, yeah, okay, you're kind of a prisoner, but not really. Um, and you get that cutscene where you're executed. That struck me as something quite different and and set up for a different, both thematically and in terms of the narrative goal, mm-hmm. uh, quite a different experience. What I love about this opening is that instead of um, establishing you as a 
a newcomer to the world um, that you're about to explore and thus the most important person in that world. Um, <laughs> New Vegas does a really good job of making you feel like you're already invested in this conflict before mm. um, before the events of the game. Um, this is a character that has prior history. Now, he is still a blank slate, but that kind of slight difference in context, that feeling of you're continuing a journey that's already been, you know, progressed previous yeah. to you taking control. Um, it it kind of changes your relationship with the characters in that world. And and I love that the, the conflict, the, the real central conflict of this game is, mm. isn't actually about you. It's not about <laughs> you. There's yeah. this bigger, yeah. there's this bigger conflict going on um, completely separate to what you're doing you just happen to get caught in the crossfire yeah and yeah, and, and I love that because it puts you in that in that world much more effectively than here I'm Johnny template and thus all of you must praise me and <laughs> and praise me as your god I will save you all like it's much more compelling for me I did struggle a little bit with the opening in this, mostly just because even though earlier I was I was saying like you know whatever it's just a video game, you do get shot in the head, and you know the logical part of my of me is thinking like you wouldn't just wake up the next day, and the doctor like in his you know by himself in his apartment just you know pulled the bullet out you're yeah. good to go, but whatever it's an easy thing to to kind of get over. But with regards to what you're saying about the Bethesda template of you know escaping or, or or getting out even though they have done it three times at least in a row now it worked for me like the whole emerging yeah. from the the basement and coming out and then just that view that that kicks in like right when you open up and then you know it'll have the tumbleweed going by or something like that and this you know it's a very it's usually just a really impressive moment for me and for new vegas how it just kind of kicks off immediately you're in this one room, you open the door, now you're here. Like, it just kind of dumps you into the yeah. world. Yeah. It works on a, a, from a plot point of view, like you're saying, he's just a guy who happens to be there, but I felt like it was a little less impressive. What I liked about the difference here, Josh, you pretty much summed up exactly, so I'm glad I'm not the only person who felt that way, is there's a difference there to having your character creation period, which you do here, you've been shot in the head, so there is that kind of, it's not amnesia because you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're supposed to remember everything. You just don't know there's missing information, mm. but it's stuff that you shouldn't yet know. Um, but they've given you a clear backstory where you clearly were part of this world. Mm -hmm. It's the idea of the, the prison is you have been out of the world for a while. So you are not part of it. You are now being reintroduced. Whereas in this case, you clearly were part of the world albeit completely insignificant and a nobody. And so the other uh, aspect of the conflict that does relate to the character that I think it sets up is, you know you were a courier, not necessarily a bad person, but ended up in a pickle, and you now have the opportunity to choose whether what you find out about yourself is going to reflect the character you go on to be. Um, there's this notion of the char this character has history and you have been given this new leaf, lease on life by being essentially reborn to decide whether or not what you find out and how you find out uh, you were tricked mm -hmm. uh, and, and ended up being killed, um, whether that's going to colour the way that you choose to behave afterwards. So it kind of sets up this 
uh, inner conflict as much as there's a, a conflict going on to control New Vegas, which I think is interesting. But ultimately kind of presents itself as a fairly straightforward revenge mission to begin with. I think it's fair to say you are told that you were dumped in a shallow grave. A robot that nobody seems to like but hangs around <laughs> in Good Springs dug yeah. you up uh, that has a questionable history. You then just have to go after and try and find out why you were shot. Get back the chip because... Um, it's made pretty clear that the terms of the agreement are that you will be hunted down if you don't deliver the chip. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've kind of got uh, multiple factors there forcing you to basically chase, hunt down, find the people who, or the person, Benny, who who put you in there. Which just seemed like very simple, but very straightforward way of saying, we're going to drag you forward a little bit on this. Whereas, I mean, it shouldn't be any more inherently a linear narrative than your dad's missing, go out into the wasteland and find right. your dad. You know, yeah. the, clearly you want to do that as well, but for some <laughs> reason it just ended up suiting, I think, the fact that maybe the opening to this game's a little bit more linear in terms of pulling you forward. There is a road you are walking along it. Yeah, you can go off and deviate a little bit, but more or less you're on a road to New Vegas. Diving back, I guess, to the audio uh, aspect of it, but I wanted to talk the opening first because one of the big casting choices was was revealed to us in the opening, which was uh, Matthew Perry is a Fallout fan and therefore got <laughs> cast as Benny, which uh, was bizarre to me at the time because that was uh, 2010, was uh, not long after Friends was kind of finishing and mm-hmm. and whatnot. And here's Matthew Perry, a big, big name celebrity at the time saying, yeah, like Fallout, which was still, you know, wasn't necessarily commonplace back then, back then, like six years ago is that long ago. Uh, but for celebrities to actively want to be involved in, in video games quite so much, uh, despite the fact Bethesda have a, a track record with uh, many big name actors in their games. But this one, for some reason, struck me looking down this cast list here and this is by no means everyone. This is just the people I picked out of a list. You know, every one of them is is fairly well known. Ron Perlman as the narrator again. Obviously, that kind of goes without saying. Matthew Perry as Benny. Uh, Wayne Newton adding the the Vegas uh, aspect to it as Mister New Vegas. Uh, Chris Christopherson, Zachary Levi, William Sadler, Michael Dorn, Danny Trejo. Uh, John Doman, Felicia Day in there, uh, and just because why wouldn't he be um, Fred? <laughs> Tatiscori uh, as Rhonda of all things, which is perfect actually uh, when you think of that character. But uh, but like did about twenty odd characters in in this game. I did appreciate Wayne Newton as Mister New Vegas, just as as a a tie back to the actual Vegas and you know Wayne Newton's yeah. history as an entertainer. I have a real problem with stunt casting in video mm-hmm. games, mm-hmm. and of course, yeah. by which I mean hiring film TV actors to Mm -hmm. play roles rather than actually casting people who are, you know, the best good fit, you know, the best person for that role. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are exceptions to that. I think there have been performances in video games given by people we traditionally think of as film and TV actors. Mm -hmm. But generally I find that, um, and this is uh, this is a massive generalization, so please forgive me. But I find that screen actors and TV actors work really well when they're able to bounce off their fellow performers. Of course, yeah. Sure. And a lot of you know, I'm making assumptions here, but based on the quality of the performances in this game, I imagine a lot of these line readings were done individually, and you notice. 
that loss of energy, that loss yeah. of um, vibrance mm -hmm. from a performance when that's the case, unless it's a professional voice actor who's used to those kind of conditions mm -hmm. and, and performing yeah. under yeah. those kind of conditions. With Caesar specifically, like you hear, you hear his name spoken different ways, you know, Kaiser or Caesar, but you hear his name throughout like so much of the first, like what, two thirds of the game. And then you finally meet him and it's like meeting up with your uncle. Like he's just kind of like, Hey, how's yeah. it going? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's not really as nearly as threatening as I uh, imagine him to be. Amongst those characters and cast, and before we get into sort of any sort of nitty gritty on the story, uh, it's maybe worth mentioning this game, you have uh, eight different companions that are permanent followers, uh, more in the DLCs, although they only join you for the course of the DLC and then uh, when you go to a separate area and, and then they, they leave you. But I don't think we need to discuss each one of them individually necessarily. But were there any companions that you ended up just having with you the whole time? Because clearly that was the best companion. Rex is a cyborg dog. How do I not <laughs> I'm take with him? You. <laughs> <laughs> he's perfect and he's super strong. Like it was, oh man, having him and, have my back and all the time. The quest is great. to get yeah, Rex his new as well. brain. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, brilliant. Love that. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Cass and mm -hmm. uh, also Lily Bowman, the Nightkin. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, with the Nightkin mainly because I just found that whole area yeah. uh, and yeah. quest line really fascinating. The history of them, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and she, she's a really, you know, she's really compelling in her own right. And, and it's cool to have a female character who doesn't just, you know, fit into kind of the stereotype of what a female character is in mm -hmm. games. For me, obviously Rex, that was just yeah. a given. It's a dog in a video game. That's my <laughs> companion. Rex, when you meet uh, him, is is part of the or is owned by uh, one of the kings or mm -hmm. the king of the kings, if right, you like, yeah. who are a bunch of Elvis impersonators, <laughs> essentially, but Elvis like uh, wannabes or oh, worshippers, yeah. um, which is just perfect yeah. for this game. <laughs> yeah. That whole thing is just, of course, of course, so Elvis ridiculous. is some god of Vegas, you know. Uh -huh. um, and the quest's called Nothing But a Hound Dog. And as you say, Sean, <laughs> you have to go and basically find a replacement brain because the one part of the cyborg dog you would think wouldn't be able to be replaced, but nonetheless, you have to find a replacement brain. It's just, mm -hmm. yeah, of course, it's just excellent. The only thing that put me off is I was I was playing in hardcore mode and the thought of losing companion to permadeath was just too much oh, to bear. Oh, is that a thing was, in hardcore mode? Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, in hardcore mode, yeah. No. We'll, we'll, come on to, we'll come on to that. So the story, we've talked about the opening, we've talked about some of the companions you have along the way. Um, we've talked about my first point that I put on the show notes uh, that, that you play a pre-existing character, which was something that I I enjoyed about this. You there was a blank slate aspect because you're creating a character, but there's a history there which I think's uh, important. Um, and we've also talked about following the roads. Um, I, I imagine for some people that feel of linearity, even if it wasn't really true linearity or forced linearity at the beginning, might have put people off. Was that something that? Uh, that bothered either of you the story at least was also interesting yeah. so like following that story as you're going along that path was perfectly fine with me and, and being able to mm -hmm. kind of go off on your own whenever you wanted to unless it was in the, the way of a death claw then you're not forced down one particular direction no. but 
the the map i think you can come across again a, a bit different to fallout 3 perhaps you can come across invisible walls or hills and cliffs that are slightly too steep to get up but you can kind of jump your way up and then hit an invisible wall or death claws that are just clearly well above your level which mm-hmm. is always a, a possibility in any sure. open world game particularly bethesda style open world game um, but this just felt a little more like it was funneling you a little bit more in away from certain areas. I miss that feeling mm. um, that Fallout 3 gives you and, and Fallout 4 and Skyrim give you of just feeling like, oh, what's that in the distance, as Sean um, put yeah, earlier? Yeah. But, you know, as, as Sean also said, like this is a really compelling narrative and I'm quite... F- happy to follow the thread so yeah, sure. uh, you yeah. soon forget the lack of freedom i felt the kind of here is the way things are in the world here are all of the factions you will meet opening that ron perlman narrates you through it's kind of as as clunky as the ending where it's like here is what you did and here is what happened to everyone you know and it's kind of all modular and pasted together to form a, a speech but it felt a bit sort of yeah. but the fact that you you've been introduced to the factions you've been shown a little bit of how the world works and by the time you're leaving good springs i don't know about you guys but by the time i was leaving good springs i'd already i was already vilified by the powder gangers yeah yeah and yeah, yeah. i'd already made an enemy just by being in the world so here's all <laughs> these other factions that i can go out and either try and walk a fine line with or mm-hmm. try and help or try and you know hinder in the case of the powder gangers that that was incredibly interesting to me so it was kind of like you want me to go in this direction am i going to see more factions yes every time you go to you're going to meet more of the factions fine with that that was absolutely fine by me and you know before you know it you're tripping over ncr and trying to you know bargain with them and then you come across a town that's been burned alive by um caesar's legion and, yeah, and yeah. you know it's it's just from one town to the next along the road, it's like, if you want me to go in that direction, all you're showing me is interesting so far, so <laughs> yeah, I'll go in yeah. that direction, you know. Speaking of the factions, um, we can get into endings here, but there are there are four faction-aligned endings um, uh, out of a long list of factions. I've listed some of them here, but not all. Um, Caesar's Legion, we've mentioned, um, who are at war w- with... Uh, over the the Hoover Dam, which is still an operational dam, which in a post-apocalyptic world obviously is incredibly important uh, resource yeah. to have. Um, provides electricity to New Vegas and mm-hmm. and keeps this area of the world seemingly protected a little from the fallout of the uh, pun intended um, <laughs> of, of of the uh, of the war. Um, so Caesar's Legion are at war with New California Republic, who currently hold the dam and. Uh, defeated or held off Caesar's Legion four years prior, but that's still in this kind of tense standoff situation. Mr. House runs the Vegas Strip, currently has access to, takes electricity from the dam. Yes Man comes to light, who is an AI computer program that works for Mr. House, but not really can be turned against him, yeah. Um, And then you've got the kind of, uh, the other incidental groups not incidental they're important but uh the great cans powder gangers the boomers uh the kings i've mentioned there's so many others followers of the apocalypse uh the enclave brotherhood of steel you run into uh, of course <laughs> um just all these different groups who are all there and impact upon the story and uh, mm. are, are part of side quests and part of ma- the main quest. But the, the main four are Caesar's Legion, New California Republic, Mr. House, and Yes Man are the kind yeah. of four who 
you can side with for the ending. Uh, the yes man uh, ending kind of being the quote-unquote independent where yeah. you're choosing not to side with anyone and forge something different for New Vegas. I was surprised just how much you were playing factions off against one another almost in a Grand Theft Auto San Andreas style way where it mm-hmm. felt like you were having yeah. to almost manage but you couldn't really directly manage in the same way as San Andreas your relationship with each faction and I was constantly worried about that and thinking and overthinking what do I do if this goes wrong what happens if I do take one option do I really want to ruin a relationship with these but then you get to a point where you just have to make a decision and mm-hmm. that's a terrifying yeah. thing in a game like this but <laughs> yeah. um, but I really relished the fact that they were saying no one way or another you're making a choice that's going to ruin your relationship the conflict between Caesar's Legion and the new uh, New California Republic mm. is is kind of the heart of the reason why I love this game so much. Mm. I think they create such a compelling clash of titans with these two factions, and they do such a good job of... There is kind of, like, in the general sense, a good guy and a bad guy in this conflict, sure. mm-hmm. but it's yeah. way more compelling than that makes it sound because mm-hmm. you know while you know the new california republic is you know democratic in nature and kind of <laughs> yeah what we would in you know i think you know i don't want to speak for you guys but i assume you, we would aspire to that kind of politics mm-hmm. in a post apocalyptic <laughs> uh, landscape <laughs> but it they're kind of shown to be this unwieldy kind of Goliath that kind of is unable to really function at, you know, maximum efficiency. Whereas you've got the Caesar's Legion and the Caesar's Legion, by the way, have one of the best introductions of a faction um, in, in this game where you just come across that, that town and and all these people are crucified and everything's in ruins <laughs> and they just come up to you like what's up <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah we're yeah. Caesar's Legion this is what we're about and they're absolutely awful you know they're mm. horrible what they do and you know what they commit um, to the peoples of the of this desert that mm-hmm. they're, they're awful. But they get things done. Yeah, they like, get results. <laughs> yeah, the, the, one of the um, lines that really sticks out with me, and I think it, it sticks out for a lot of people, is when they mention how in the um, in the Caesar's Legion controlled territory, traders don't get robbed, traders don't yeah. get mugged. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's safe yeah. as long as you yeah. do what Caesar's Legion says, everyone's safe. Hey, it's awful, but at least the trains run on time. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And and it's it's so great to have... It's hard to say that they're yeah. the anta- antagonist in a game where you get to choose whether you're on their yeah. side or not. But I feel like the game kind of sets them up to be the antagonist yeah, force. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. they're so much more compelling mm-hmm. than the Enclave... Uh, Enclave were in mm-hmm. um, in Fallout Three, who are kind of just mustache tw- twirling <laughs> villains. Where yeah. you know these guys are both more awful, more evil, yet still yeah. deeper compelling. and more mm-hmm. compelling. Yeah. And yeah. and every other faction 
Um, I'm kind of sorry. I, I've kind of ignored your question, James, just to no, get across go, my go views go on on these factions. Yeah, but yeah. Every other faction feels like a casualty of the, this this clash of mm-hmm. of these two superpowers. Like I I end up feeling really sad for the Great Khans. Yeah, absolutely. Because mm. the Great Khans are kind of just this force who are powerful enough to matter but still not powerful enough to kind of carve out their own path mm-hmm. and have yeah. to choose a side. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, it's just... It's really sad that they're caught up in this because they have to choose because yeah. they're a big enough deal that if they don't, one or other side is just going to crush them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so yeah. it's such... It's such good world building. It's yeah. such a compelling conflict to be a part of mm. and, and to be able to choose which side. Now, ultimately, I'm always going to go with the New California Republic because mm. morally they just line up with my politics a lot more. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, that being said, you know, this game does such a good job of making that choice a lot more grey than it would be normally. Yeah. The constant build-up to the decision you have to make is probably my favorite part of New Vegas in general. Like, just how mm. how much there is and how many, like, little decisions you have to make of which quest you're going to follow uh, yeah. building up to that. Like, no other open-world game that I can think of, that I, at least that I've played, uh, ever gave me that kind of, like, pressure of, like, okay, if I follow this quest, I know that Caesar is not going to be mm. happy. And then, like, I love how if you... I can't remember at what point it happens, but... Like you, you finish one quest, and then like in your quest line, like on your Pip Boy, it'll say like a new note will show up that says like, if you keep going this way, Caesar's gonna find you and take care of you, and that's just so threatening. Like something as little as that, like just terrified me. So there's kind of multiple things that that happen along the way, but mm-hmm. um, in terms of the overall relationship of Caesar or the overall relationship of the courier to Caesar's Legion and New California Republic, um, I love that they start you off and set you up with. New California Republic are pretty much the good guys. Yeah, Caesar's Legion yeah. are pretty much the bad guys. And everything you will see for the first like two to six hours of this game is going to reinforce that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everything that happens from there on after that point, once you've seen the horrendous things Caesar's Legion do, basically, that reinforces that, it's just going to slowly erode away your confidence in New California Republic and slowly erode away your confidence that Caesar's Legion are just horrendous guys, you know, horrendous group and bad guys, as it were. And it's just going to introduce that doubt and just let it grow a little bit and grow a little bit and grow a little bit. I don't know how much of that was the whole idea of a lot of the stuff that, you know, a lot of your interactions with them, but it's pretty clear to me they wanted things to start out where mm. you're kind of sure of what you want to do mm-hmm. and then just put a bit of doubt in there, a little bit, yeah. let that grow a bit and see where you go with it. And by the time you get to, to the Vegas Strip and they introduce Mr. House mm-hmm. and then undercut Mr. House with Yes Man and say, actually, <laughs> is this guy the guy you want or do you want to do it yourself? You know, It's wonderfully done and, and it's on the back of. Um, so Witcher 2 is a game where I've not played, but I understand you make a decision partway through the game that dictates one of two paths you will take. But I've always seen that presented as, no, no, there's one decision and it's going to branch the story in two directions and you only see one side of the story from then on. Whereas in this, you're both of you absolutely right. There's this sort of creeping notion that 
can I help them a little bit more? Will that still be okay? <laughs> can, yeah. yeah, can I help this faction a little bit more without ruining my relationship with another? Um, and then you start seeing quest failed, quest failed, quest failed. And you're like, oh, oh no. <laughs> okay. And that feels wrong. It feels bad. It's like, no, I want 100% finished quest. No, you don't get that. And not only that, but you will get to a point where um, you're told that's it now you're making your choice and Mm -hmm. then I think they do give you a chance to kind of go back on that once more but Mm -hmm. you will get to a point where you have chosen a side and you are now just following through on that and you may have chosen a side that you're not sure with and suddenly you're set a complete loggerheads with NCR for example and there you are standing on the wrong on albeit justly or or you've kind of convinced yourself it's right but on the wrong side of this war and you're thinking you know gathering forces to attack the dam or whatever and it's just it is bizarre and it should feel, you know, by all rights, it should feel so wrong. We're kind of trained to think, no, I want to min-max this. I want to do everything, get 100% finished quest log. I want to see everything, and you know. And and you can't. You, you just can't. You have to play it multiple times or accept the story that you got, which I think always a brave choice because we're kind of told that developers don't want to make content that's not going to be seen. Um, and yet here we are with a game where, I mean, let's face it, you could play it through four times, choose the four endings, and you still wouldn't feel like you'd seen all of it probably. So there are 111 listed quests on the Fallout New Vegas wiki, uh, mm. and that's not including the ones that don't come up on the Pip-Boy, just kind of the incidental environmental quests you can get. I've written any favourites. I kind of feel like that's completely futile to ask. <laughs> um, but w- were there any particular uh, things you had to do, places you had to go, quests you completed that kind of even perhaps you know five, six years later stand out in your memory? The side quests um, associated with the Brotherhood of Steel yeah. Um, really stick out in my mind just because the Brotherhood of Steel was such a huge force in um, Fallout 3. For them to be just kind of like in the background going, yeah, we're keeping an eye on things, um, mm-hmm. we're doing our own thing. Uh, keep hush hush. Uh, don't tell anyone <laughs> that we're uh, that we're here. That really that I found that really compelling. That like the 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 big force of the uh, previous entry were kind of just in the shadows, kind of observing the the conflict and and yeah. kind of doing their own thing. And then there's a mission where you have to basically sabotage their base and cause it to self destruct. I love missions like that where you kind of have to blend in and try and get away with causing some nonsense and then (laughs) running out as you, you know, people around you realize what you've done and start opening fire and you run out and you're like, ah, and then the whole thing blows up and you're like, whoo, that was, that was, uh, that was intense. Um, That one really sticks out. And, and I think, yeah, the Brotherhood of Steel kind of as this, kind of um manipulator is a, is a really compelling angle mm-hmm. um yeah. for for yeah. that faction and uh, as i'm sure you know hardcore fallout fans will point out is probably a lot closer to um to the the vision of the that that uh, faction in the original fallout mm-hmm. games than mm-hmm. as presented in the bethesda games yeah 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 great stuff the 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 one that sticks out right in my mind. And I don't know if it's just because I just played it yesterday or if there's there's plenty of videos on this specific quest too, but Beyond the Beef, that's just a great example of all the freedom that you're given in Fallout New Vegas. Like hmm. you can that quest is kicked off with you are uh you're going to this casino and if you just happen to talk to this guy who's sitting at the counter, 
he does kind of stand out, so you most likely will. But, you know, you could totally ignore him. But if you talk to him, he's like, yeah, my son's missing. And the last time he was seen was in this casino. And so you can, like, infiltrate that whole group, the White Glove Society, which is the creepy, like, eyes wide shut group <laughs> um, who runs that casino. And yeah. you can, like, uh, what is it? You can, you can go in guns blazing, find him, find the son, get him out of there. Or you can, like, sabotage the food and, like... Uh, expose the the guy Mortimer who's behind the whole thing who wants to be a cannibal. There's just so many things that like so many ways <laughs> that this whole quest can play out, and it could you could totally ignore it. It's not even a main quest; it's just a side quest. But it's just such a neat little example of how much freedom you're given to complete your mission. You, you've kind of summed up a, a great aspect of the way to play this game mm-hmm. for me, which is that it feels like you'd have to go some to create a character build that wouldn't be viable in in this game yeah yeah you know there are only so many things you can focus on that feels like every one of them is catered for absolutely yeah in a large number of the quests which is uh really quite something Mm -hmm. there's a quest called for old lang syne which is um one of the companion quests uh, Mm -hmm. in this case for uh, Arcade's Israel Gannon, who is a follower of the Apocalypse. Mm. Um, but the, the, this whole quest is about going back and finding former acquaintances of, of his. It, it's just the whole backstory to his character and, and the group that he's he's part of um, and people he's become estranged from and the fact that he was persecuted but not for his, not necessarily just for his sexuality. There's just this whole wonderful quest that I, I don't want to go into any details on, on the off chance that someone playing this hasn't played the quest and, and would go on to. Uh, again, it, it's kind of, as you were saying, Sean, like some of the quests, kind of ends up tricky to unlock because you need to meet a bunch of criteria mm-hmm. that kind of feels like it has to do with all the faction stuff and there's behind the scenes points you need to mm-hmm. have and stuff. It's all on the wiki if you want to see how to do it. I was reading through the the quest today just to remind myself of it. That character, despite not being one of the companions I often took with me, was a companion that I wanted to just interact with as much as I could in terms of developing a, a relationship with. And that, that quest was just remarkable to find out this really sort of convoluted uh, backstory to do with being part of one group and having to... Uh, essentially leave that group but go into hiding because of a previous association uh, and kind of move around between different groups and end up with this group called Followers of the Apocalypse uh, as this guy who is essentially now a medic trying to help people in the world. That's the only way he's looked at all these different factions that you're interacting with and trying to uh, decide who the right one to work with is and he's just decided none of them none of these fools because <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. I'm just going to find the only way to use, uh, in his case, incredible intellect to try and help people in this world. And his way is just not being a part of any of it. It, it just really spoke to me in terms of, it kind of shows you that despite the fact you can't really do that in the game, um, there, there is a way to be a decent person in this world. <laughs> and there aren't many of them in this game. So yeah, I, I really liked uh, that, that particular quest, which brings us on to the mechanics of the game. We talked about moving into third person and not hanging around there for long, but uh, this is a first person game that I think more than Fallout 3 even did tries to be a, a first person shooter. They've popped iron sights in there. You don't have to rely on it quite so much in this game. Uh, the shooting feels a little less dice rolly yeah, maybe to me. a little bit. Um, but you still have the option of that kind of turn-based VAT system where you freeze everything 
target your shots, use your action points, and then press go and watch carnage ensue, or absolutely nothing happen because you miss all of your shots. (laughs) Which equal parts infuriating and just sort of laugh out loud. But one thing that that really hasn't changed is just how much, even if you're not using VATS, how much you're dipping into the Pip-Boy to do quest management. And I rarely used the map in there if I could help it, because it's not didn't strike me as particularly great. You have to sometimes just to see where you're going. But um, And the stat management in this game is is absolutely insane, as much as it was in Fallout 3, but more so for a couple of reasons, I think. I'm not sure what I've got to say about the mechanics. It's kind of one of those, I assume people are familiar with Fallout 3 and <laughs> therefore New Vegas, and, and if not Fallout 4, which isn't wildly different. But uh, was there anything in particular that uh, struck you guys about kind of the moment-to-moment combat and mechanics of, of the game. Being able to use iron sights was initially, mm. like, exciting to me because one, one of my struggles with Fallout 3 the first time I played it was how it was a first-person shooter, but um, it kind of wasn't. It was more just an RPG. Yeah. It just happened yeah, to be in first yeah. person. Um, but so it was, it was a little exciting to me when they announced that it was going to have iron sights and I was kind of trying mm. to use it at first, but eventually I just stopped using it because it, it didn't seem nearly to change yeah, kind of anything first person yeah, shooter yeah. Yeah. yeah and it wasn't like satisfying like you know a first person shooter will put a lot of effort into feedback and how you know you're connecting with your bullets are connecting with the the enemy and stuff and mm. that just really doesn't happen in either fallout game they, they you know something they've focused on since then with fallout 4 um but yeah i don't know it's it, i just kind of relied on vats just kind of like i did in three same here really um i i do really like that as a system yeah i, I think that's worth highlighting mm-hmm. i think mm, yeah. as far as um rpg combat systems go um nothing's ever going to top dark souls but sure. and you know they're there it's a long drop to second place uh <laughs> when compared to that um but when compared to everything else in the genre, you know, I think Vats is a good work mm. workaround for yeah. you know an RPG combat system, and it and it's fun, and I, I do like it quite a bit. The idea was that if you if you were going into Fallout 3D, if you like, not let's not just say Fallout 3, Fallout in the 3D uh, for people who were expecting because it looks like a first person shooter right. yeah. to play like a first person shooter, dipping into Vats all the time gave it this stop-start staccato kind of flow that would have been very jarring to someone who was kind of expecting first-person shooter to play like a first-person shooter. I absolutely agree. That's I actually loved. I, I love the fact that it's not Twitch response. I know the numbers, yeah. so I shouldn't, XCOM, be surprised <laughs> by how effective those numbers actually end up being in reality or, or how they look in reality, if you like. And that was absolutely fine by me. So I didn't really need iron sights. And I, I agree with, with you, Sean. I, I didn't, it's not like I was going to say, oh, I don't need vats anymore. Right. Yeah. No, I, I was quite happy to dip into vats. When you run out of action points and you still want to pop off a shot and see mm-hmm. if you can kill someone, it's nice to have the iron sights there. But yeah, I was always going to use vats whenever I, I, I had the chance, I guess. And yeah, I, I guess they still want to try and uh, represent that. But I agree, Josh. I, I like the fact that they've got this way of representing turn-based combat while still presenting you a world that you can walk around and interact with from a, an explorer, from a first-person perspective. Um, I think it's a really uh, neat system, and I think Bethesda should be absolutely commended, certainly from my perspective, for uh, creating that way of interacting with a, a first-person game, especially because it makes sense in the world. You know, you've got this Pip-Boy strapped to your arm. That's how you're 
managing all of your systems, why shouldn't it be how you manage your combat as well? It would betray the RPG aspect and the the will the desire to increase your stats and manage those stats if skill was too big a factor in the combat as well. It kind of can't be. Save that for Fallout 4. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but you're, you're always going to kind of end up with that dice roll feel to the shooting, which is going to put people off. So, you know, that's why I'd want to use that. So. Speaking of stats, special stats return and largely those stay fixed from the beginning of the game. You have a certain number of points to distribute across your uh, strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, and luck. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, stats. And each of those then feed into derived stats, which is going to be stuff like your hit points, your action points, um, stuff that you're actually using in the game is going to be based on those special stats. You can use a perk um, intensive training, or you can buy upgrades to to those the bobbleheads equ- equivalent to the bobbleheads from from the first uh, from mm. the first game. Oh dear, <laughs> promised myself I wouldn't do that from Fallout Three. But then you've also got skills, which are stuff like um, your repair, your hacking skills, your speech skills, stuff like that. So those are afforded a certain number of points from your special stats, and you can then boost them as you level up through the game. And you have perks on top of that that you can choose i think it's one of per level and traits that are the kind of positive and negative effects you choose one or two of at the start of the game and you then have skill books which provide a permanent boost to your skills and skill magazines which provide a temporary boost to your skills it's not just me that's confusing right (laughs) it's ridiculous isn't it it's a bit much yeah the books especially for me by the end of the game the magazines i rarely used because it's like okay maybe if i've got a lock i want to pick and i happen to know a magazine but who's keeping track of that stuff every time they pick a lock to think of this and to go through the tutorial as recently as kind of last week you're picking stuff you can't possibly understand the ramifications mm-hmm. of at yeah. the time. And I, I don't know about you guys, I really did, I, I felt like I had to intuit a lot of this stuff over the course of like 40 hours <laughs> before I actually really understood what I was doing with all of my various, you know, abil- stats essentially. For some reason, it just kind of never registered with me which ones were permanent and which ones were temporary. Like, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't looking in the right spot, I guess. But I don't know. The rest of it for me was, you know, as with most RPGs, like the more you play it, the more familiar you are with its systems. Yeah, sure. And, you know, we all three of us had played stuff like Demon Souls where, you know, literally the stuff inside your menus will be symbols that you don't even understand. <laughs> like, yeah. you eventually yeah. come to learn... Um, how things work. I think possibly it's just the fact that traits and skill magazines were added over and above what, right, what you already were. <laughs> I'd already come to terms with. <laughs> yeah. And to be yeah. fair, I was playing hardcore mode, so I was having to deal with other meters like uh, thirst, hunger, fatigue, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So that, that's on me. I, I knew that was optional and I chose that for my first playthrough. <laughs> so, you know, that's. That's my own stupid. You chose hardcore fault, for your first playthrough. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's it's XCOM enemy unknown all over again. Although yeah. it was before, there's an extra mode there. Some people rightly or wrongly claim it's the way to play the game. So Muggins here is going to pick that as the way to play the game. <laughs> it just because I'm a glutton for punishment with games like this, um, when the stats become kind of impenetrable to a point mm. where they just become noise to me. Yeah, I just go with whatever i think might be good but i'm not <laughs> yeah, I'm just not, sort of feel like, yeah. yeah i i'm not i'm not kind of aiming towards a build or anything right, yeah. like that mm-hmm. it's just sure. like 
well, talking was good. Yeah. That time I'll yeah. invest in talking uh-huh. and then I'll just pick another <laughs> random thing yeah. the next time I have an opportunity. Yeah, it's not something I'm I, I I'm super focused on and I don't fully understand it, I have I must confess. Mm. Um but yeah, it it wasn't a detriment or anything like that. It's just it's there and I engaged with it when I needed to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for for me with this game as as with any um, Bethesda-style open-world RPG, and any RPG really, I, I tend to lean stealth, so sneak in this case, speech, because I don't want to miss out on a speech option to solve a problem. That's always the coolest thing when you know you're in for a hiding and you can press a button that just happens to be some secret hidden speech option and solve a problem by saying words. You know, it's always fun. Um, and then I always want to put into you know repair stats and lock picking and hacking. And before you know it, I'm a guy in my underpants wandering around with a pea shooter, <laughs> hoping not to run into anything that doesn't speak English because I will not be able to talk my way out of it. <laughs> um, it's basically what I end up doing. So yeah, it sounds like Josh, uh, well, possibly all three of us, speech is going to be a big factor. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that push and pull on the stats is always fun when you see just how little health you've got left after after putting your points everywhere else. I, I don't I don't know if this is true, but it, it feels to me like speech and barter was a much more important factor in this one than Fallout 3 and, and certainly Fallout 4. Um, I don't know about I, you, I you think, guys, but it just I, I felt think, like... Yeah, you're far from the only person to feel that way. Yeah, I don't know if that's like legitimately accurate, but it's just, I came away from all those games feeling like I shot my way out of more situations in 3 and 4 than I did with New Vegas. I, I think anecdotally, well, I mean, we've already heard there were 25,000 extra lines of dialogue. Some of those have to be for dialogue options, you know, that you might not have access to otherwise. And I think that's part of the reason why, and we'll hear in from the community feedback, there is this feeling that Obsidian... And I've already said it, and again, anecdotal from people, from their experiences, it's not hard and fast, but mm-hmm. it feels like Obsidian catered more for different playstyles yeah. and different yeah. opportunities to solve a quest or complete a quest in different ways. Whereas, yeah, I know for from the case of Fallout 4, I only played six hours or so, but I heard a lot of people saying, feels like the quest is go and fetch this, now it's a firefight. And this game never to me felt that way. Uh, on hardcore mode there were a couple of times I ended up in a fight where I was like I can't win this fight just random encounter in the in the wasteland or whatever but that meant that yeah avoid con- conflict where I can mm-hmm. and just talk my way out of everything else which was infinitely fun to do speaking of which to me the difficulty setting I think was almost incidental because as I say my first playthrough was hardcore mode which even on easy dis- difficulty hardcore mode's going to end up making it feel difficult I'm pretty sure I played this on whatever normal difficulty mode is. I think there's four difficulty settings uh, from memory. Easy, normal, hard, and I don't know that there's much to say as, as far as my memories of it. I did play a little bit around. I think it is literally just enemies will be slightly more perceptive, slightly more aggressive, but mainly it's hit points and damage dealt to you that's going to differ. Hardcore mode, on the other hand, adds... Thirst, hunger, and fatigue meters that mean that if you don't drink, eat, and sleep enough, you will die. Uh, I, like, literally, you will just keel over and die. Companions, where instead of getting knocked out and being revive, revived at the end of the fight, um, will die, and that's it, they're done. If, if you let their health get low enough, so you're suddenly having to r- worry about running around and healing them mid-fight, 
or in the end just saying, right, I'm not taking a companion. I'm not willing to have them die on me. <laughs> um, ammunition has weight, which is exactly as annoying as it sounds because you're just then in the position of, right, I only pick up ammunition for the yeah, guns I know I'm going to use. I pick up nothing else, which uh, actually adds something that I forgot to say when we're talking about the linear feeling of it. In Fallout 3, I was much more apt to settle down in Megaton, have my house given to me by the quest that does that, and I would just go out, do a quest, pick up everything, come and dump it back in my house, even if it's stuff like pots and pans that I don't need. In this game, uh, the fact that I was playing hardcore mode and ammunition had weight, and the fact that it did feel like I was being pushed forward along the main quest line a bit more, meant that it actually did a really good job of making me, if that was the intent, making me feel more like, uh, more nomadic, I guess, where I was just on my own, on the move, and didn't settle anywhere, so I was only carrying what I needed a lot more, and so if it was a clipboard, yeah, not picking that up, I'm sorry, that's not helpful. I will sell the stuff that's helpful and valuable, I'm not picking up the junk, which gave it a completely different feel to Fallout where I was this pack rat who would just fast travel with as much as I could carry in (laughs) pots and pans and knives and forks. That really made a difference. Ammunition having weight, uh, you you don't, playing it last week and deciding to play it without hardcore mode on, so much of a difference. And the only other thing that changes is healing and recovering from status effects with like Radaway and stuff. It takes time. It doesn't happen instantly. Mm. And crippled limbs, you can't heal with a stim pack. You have to use particular doctor's kits or sleeping in particular beds. So it's just more restrictive on how quickly you can recover as well. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I think it did negatively affect my uh, opinion of the game as I was playing it, but I really... I couldn't pass it up because I'm the sort of person that, you know, you hear about like Far Cry 2 permadeath playthroughs and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, I want that. I want <laughs> the, this is going to not just be hard for hard sake, but it's going to do something to adjust and maybe deepen the immersion um, for me. Um, you guys, I, I think we spoke about this beforehand uh, in prep for the show. You guys haven't tried hardcore mode. Was there anything in particular that would have encouraged you or put you off? I kind of want to give it a shot, <laughs> but I, I don't. I don't know if I ever will. Um, one thing, yet, I don't know if you mentioned. Um, does is there any effects towards encumbrance? Like, do you still have the same? Like, you can carry a billion guns and all this stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, other than ammunition having weight, uh, it's the stats operate the same way. So yeah, yeah. That kind of goes against the idea to me. Like I feel like it's supposed to be more realistic. The idea of thirst hunger and and bullets carrying weight, but that you can still mm. carry, you know, a flamethrower, two shotguns, and you know all this kind of different outfits and everything. It just I don't know. It just kind of breaks that. I, I hope I'm right in saying that. I did look back over what Arkham does, but obviously I haven't played it in in ages. But um, because that's tied to a stat, they would have to continue yeah. that if a gun weighs. Yeah two or you know two weight units um yeah. and you can carry 40 then yeah you can carry yeah. 20 of those guns it'd probably um, be impossible honestly if you had only were only able to carry one gun one out yeah i mean i guess technically you'd end up with a kind of resident evil case style <laughs> management yeah. system or um not that resident evil is the only one but that's obviously what sure, a yeah. lot of us will think of. Brain, yeah. um or yeah you only get a certain number of slots mm-hmm. for for weapons or something but um, but then what would you use the rest of your right. weight yeah. limit for, you know? So um, it'd kind of be pointless if you had a massive weight limit and then decided to pick a pistol. I, th- I think those restrictions are kind of enough. 
Another alternate playstyle that I've kind of listed all these down under, uh, Wild Wasteland Trait, that I think has seven or eight different encounters throughout the game. The traits often are kind of a, a, a risk-reward or, or a benefits deficit type um, perk, where there's also a, a downside to it. Uh, in the case of Wild Wasteland, it just basically says you'll have a trippy yeah. journey through the wasteland. <laughs> Um, and there are some encounters that pop up that wouldn't otherwise that you may well miss, but uh, when they do pop up, the screen kind of swirls and puts up a little icon to say something weird's happening, and there's a weird kind of 1950s sci-fi tone plays. Um, I think the one that everyone remembers is you find a fridge with a skeleton in in a fedora, uh, and it's Indy who didn't survive the nuclear blast, uh, basically. Which raises a chuckle because we all we all we all appreciate I think taking that down a peg or two. But there, there's weird, other weird things like you can you can see a, an alien um, spacecraft flying overhead or hovering overhead at one point. Not something I don't think that I picked. Certainly on my first playthrough, I was like hardcore modes enough. I'll, I'll yeah. maybe leave leave the bazaar. Uh, <laughs> but I think just a nice touch to the dark humor yeah. in the game, just to say you want it to be even weirder. <laughs> go ahead. Mm. Yeah, I kind of wish uh, it's 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 weird to ask for like more content in this game, but I do kind of wish there was just more of it. Like, uh, I wish there was more of it. Yeah, or it was a little more random because the notion that there was seven or eight specific places mm-hmm. you could go, yeah, to see something was a bit. Yeah, I mean, you you can't you can't really avoid the fridge in the beginning, but like honestly, other than that, I only found the well, which was a reference to Lassie, which was cute. Sure, with the kid in the <laughs> you know, the dead kid in the well, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and then the, the um. The three uh, older women who come attacking you with um, those uh, rollers, like I didn't even know what that was a reference to. It just they just kind of popped out of nowhere and just started attacking me, and I took them down. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't really know what that was. So it's kind of wish there was a couple more things, but it's still a yeah, cute yeah, idea. It would be nice right. when I when I looked it up afterwards and it said no, there's these very specific, very limited things. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. I'm sorry, Obsidian, you've put 65,000 lines of dialogue in 111 quests. Could we have a bit more, please? Yeah, so exactly as you're saying. But And l- last but not least, I am I'm sure both of you will have loads to say about Caravan, um, <laughs> much like Gwent after it. Um, a, a card game was developed for... Oh, wow, really? For <laughs> New Vegas. As I, under, I don't think this exists outside of New Vegas. I hope it doesn't. I think I played it once. <laughs> for whatever the tutorial was for it. And I was like, yeah, I don't need to do this. Yeah, I, I never Sorry. get along with stuff like this. It just, it didn't register with me here. Not with Gwent. Just, I don't, I don't know what yeah. it is. Mm. Like, same with Rage, I think had something like this as well. Like, I, mm. nah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm too much, having too much fun with the actual game to play another game underneath it. So I think it's nice touch. And sure. as Gwent yeah. proves, it's now like being it, launched cool. as a separate game. So clearly there are people who like this, but of course, yeah. Um, yeah. As, as you say, it's, um, I, I tend to just move on with the quests mm-hmm. and be too focused on that to dedicate much time. Josh, you are clearly our caravan expert. Tell us all about how great it is. I am only just finding out this exists <laughs> in this uh, podcast. <laughs> well, in the show notes, I've put a link to, I think it's the wiki page, so you can find out even more about it then. Rest assured, there is a game called Caravan in this, listeners. Uh, we do know it's <laughs> there, but uh, just we're not the audience for it, unfortunately. So all you caravan aficionados out there who only play Fallout New Vegas for Caravan, um, Apologies that we have done you a disservice. 
I'm not sure we're going to have much time to say uh, anything about DLC because we're uh, we're already filling up our allocated time uh, as it is. But uh, there were, in this case, four. I think Fallout 3 had five. I, why am I even making the comparison? That's just adding to our list of comparisons. There are multiple releases that came out in the sort of year or so after uh, the game came out. Plus, there were um, the Courier Stash was kind of the collection of all the pre-order DLC stuff that, that had come out with the game. Gunrunner's Arsenal was an extra kit, basically. But there were four story, uh, separate story uh, DLCs, Dead Money, Honest Hearts, Old World Blues, and Lonesome Road. They were then all collected together with the Gunrunner's Arsenal and Courier Stash into the Ultimate Edition. I have to say, as, as you can probably tell, I, I did all of my playing of this game in 2010. I therefore did not get to the DLC with Fallout 3, I played each DLC pack as it came out because that's kind of what they were doing. It was kind of a big thing at the time. We're releasing a DLC every couple of months, play along with. So that was what I did uh, for for that. And I did kind of suffer a little bit of that Fallout outedness um, by the time these DLCs were coming out. What about you guys? Uh, DLC was that was that something you hung on its every word? No, for me, I didn't. I unfortunately didn't really play any of them just because I remember the reviews were not too hot, even from people who mm. um, did enjoy the main game. Like that, yeah. just I remember the reviews weren't too good, except for Old World Blues, which I do want to get back to at some point. But yeah, mm. unfortunately, I haven't played any of them. Same here, unfortunately, um, and it's really weird because, um, like you say, uh, James, I, I've played pretty much all of the Fallout Three yeah, DLC, same here. Yeah. and if I you know think about those two games i i would say i prefer new vegas yeah i haven't touched <laughs> any of the yeah. dlc um like sean said like i've heard um old web old world blues is kind of the one mm. to play if you're yeah. going to play any of them and i keep saying i'll play it at some point and <laughs> and never do so i, I yeah. had intended to when i uh put the game on xbox one backwards compatibility last week mm. um so I installed disc two of the Ultimate Edition and intended to, but when I started playing the game, I didn't get any of what I assumed would be the pop-ups that you got. Oh, right, yeah. Um, you got the them indicators in three, right? you, you would get uh, in three. It, it yeah. popped up an indicator saying new radio station mm-hmm. found, I think, and you tuned to that radio station mm-hmm. and it directed you to where you need to go. Um, I didn't get those, so I don't know if it's because I need disc two to be in, even though it's installed, it has to be the one that I run the game from or something. Um, so I haven't looked into that, so that's kind of stopped me in this past couple of weeks i would like to go back to it but I, I i wonder how much of it is that the last dlc for fallout 3 which weren't all massive successes by any stretch but mothership zeta was possibly zeta or beta i can't remember possibly the worst of the bunch in yeah. my estimation i definitely yeah remember it being very yes i want a spaceship isn't it was that cute cool? or yeah, i'm doing the but... same thing over and over and over yeah. and over yeah. and over and over again with a slightly different alien weapon in my hands. Uh, no, uh, I really didn't enjoy that. So I, I don't know how much of that is maybe responsible for me then not going with these. That might just be me reaching for an excuse for not having <laughs> done this game's DLC, uh, it, given this game's DLC, it's, it's due. But uh, yeah, like you guys, interested in going back to them. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if, if there is one to start with, maybe that will entice me to the rest. But I have to work out how to get that working on backwards compatibility. Mm. Because as we found out, and as Josh particularly knows, the post-release technical issues are not simply constrained to the console versions, nor are they constrained to the year of release, many of which have not been solved, and there are now new ones. 
I think it's fair to say the PS3 version was considered the more vulnerable to the console issues yeah, uh, than the 360. Yep. Not that the 360 was perfect, but uh, any in particular that stood out, aside from what I'm assuming are just crashes that yeah. make the save corrupt and unusable. Uh, well, um, I never had a uh, corrupt save, fortunately. A fully but, game-breaking one, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I certainly had plenty of crashes. Um, and it was yeah. interesting. I was kind of expecting it, um, but I was, you know, I was more into trophies for some reason at that point in my life. So I was really, I was going to go for the PS3 version regardless. It only really started hitting about like, I don't know, eight to 10 hours in. Um, so I was kind of fortunate, I guess, uh, compared to most people who were probably playing the PS3 version. Um, A friend of the show, Gary Bloor, has multiple times uh, tried Bethesda games on PS3. I think Skyrim was the just the last straw for him. He's taken a step back from Bethesda games. I think part so I think part of the problem in this case was a lot of the issues that people were talking about and, and I actually came off quite well. I think I had four or five times the games crashed the desktop on Xbox three sixty, but never a game breaking bug. Always had a save I could roll back to quite easily. I remember once one of the King's quests I ended up getting stuck in a girder somewhere and <clears throat> couldn't move, so I had to roll back to a previous save. But I got off fairly well, but a lot of the complaints I saw, the bugs were the same bugs that were in Fallout 3. And actually, probably they were in Fallout 3 to a very similar extent, except people expected, because the game ran on the same engine, was two years later, therefore Mm -hmm. two years more experience behind it. In theory, these bugs should have been fixed. It's not like they weren't known about. So I, I think in some case, the expectation was things should have improved and they didn't. If anything, they got slightly worse, even even though different developer, et cetera, all these reasons, it just, it's not going to be an excuse in the eyes of the person who sat there 50 hours in with a game breaking bus. Sure. Yeah. Hard to say too, whether it's the, I mean, I think now that we've seen also Skyrim having issues on PS3 as well, like I think at the time I know um, Obsidian was known for having really well-written stories and, and um, you know, fun games in the end. Yeah, but I maybe. think they've uh, since also kind of gained a reputation for having pretty buggy games. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but uh, New Vegas for sure. And maybe it's the engine. Maybe it's their, you know, the way they make their games. And uh, Maybe it's it's just a particularly difficult meeting of the two. Of yeah. course, yeah. It could be anything. But it's uh, ultimately, as you said, it comes down to a um inconsistent to be nice <laughs> experience yeah yeah no definitely so uh, josh you and i played on xbox 360 and aside from a couple of hiccups it was a nice easy process right you've not run into any problems with this game so i played this game both on xbox 360 and pc to be honest on xbox 360 i managed to completely avoid game breaking bugs and crashes of a serious extent, and I think that's mainly because I played it so far past the initial release date that there was already some patches and stuff that had been rolled out. Um, there was still, and it's I almost have a photographic memory of this event because it kind of sticks out to me as the king of all glitches that I've seen. But um, there was this one instance where uh, I was out in the desert and not only did I come across one Deathclaw, I came across like a couple of them. <laughs> and immediately I was like, oh, God, no. <laughs> and they're running towards me. And then they just like sink into the ground. And then they just, 
they just disappear into like into the sand as if it was quicksand, <laughs> and they're just gone. And yeah. wow. it didn't break. You know, again, it wasn't like this game breaking thing, but yeah. like this moment of absolute terror was completely <laughs> undone by the world's <laughs> physics just collapsing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and and so even even. So far after launch, the 360 version was still having some issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I I have pay- played the PC version in the past, and 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 it out of the two experiences I've had, it was the more positive one. I think yeah. it runs a lot better, etc. Sure, yeah. etc. The usual PC nonsense that us PC gamers spout, mm-hmm. but um. But um, recently, um, I tried to go back to Fallout New Vegas for this podcast, um, and I just couldn't get it to run. Um, I could load up the main menu, um, and cutscene like so the cutscene at the beginning would play, but the moment it tried to actually load into the game, it would just crash to desktop. Um, and and I kept trying it, and it's basically it sounds like that this is an issue caused by Windows 10, and the game just is not optimized for Windows 10, and mm. it won't run properly, um, which is a real shame. Yeah. Um, and I and I struggled and struggled to find a solution to this, mm-hmm. and I just I didn't find one in time for the recording of this podcast. Yeah. Thankfully, my memories of this game are strong enough that I can still be on this recording, mm. but. Um, uh, just before before coming on to this recording, I, I found the solution um, to the problem. So there's this, uh, just in case anyone else is listening to this and has the, a similar issue, um, go to nexusmods.com um, mm-hmm. and find the mod called New Vegas Anti-Crash. Now, this is a mod that existed before my particular problem. It's kind of a general bug-fixing mod that kind of tries to aim... It aims to fix all the issues that Bethesda and Obsidian have just kind of left in the game. Um, but they recently added, like, an update to it that kind of helps solve the Windows 10 um, problems that have been um, mm. been a common issue for lots of people. So if you're playing this game on PC and you're having those issues, please go to uh, Nexus Pods and get it, get it fixed. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah, the, the fact that there isn't a patch for this game, um, just to get it running on Windows 10, is hugely um, aggravating to me. Um, I, I don't think that's acceptable at all. Um, I, I know that might sound a little harsh but i if you if you launch a game and you are selling it on steam still it should be working on current systems it's unacceptable and this can't even be claimed to be a result of bethesda saying oh well now there's a refund system so if anyone buys <laughs> right, it and yeah. can't use it at least because the, this happened with fallout 3 as well yeah as of yeah. windows 7 fallout 3 would not work and yeah there was a whole games for windows live issue with that game other developers patched their games other developers got it working other games worked fine with new versions of windows bethesda i think of as a pc developer first who then put their games pretty successfully onto consoles the elder scrolls series i think of as a pc it's a descendant of the isometric rpg on that is a pc stalwart and those games made it onto consoles albeit on ps3 not 
great on Xbox 360, just about okay. They <laughs> patched those versions and yeah. then abandoned the PC version, presumably in the hope that modders would do their jobs for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's harsh at all, Josh. I'm angry about this, actually. Mm. Yeah. They are selling games. They are repackaging Skyrim to put onto consoles. Again, yeah. there have been, you know, there's already been Game of the Year edition of, of that game. There's now an HD remake of that game. There's apparently going to be a version on Nintendo Switch they make, they make damn sure when they're getting $60, 40 quid for their hard work, they put in the work. Why aren't they doing it to make sure people who've bought the game can continue playing it? Especially, as you say, Josh, they are still selling this. It's not an excuse. It's not on. This isn't Obsidian either. Obsidian were paid to make this game. They are no longer in control of what happens to it. They don't own the code. They don't get to, to work on this game anymore. Um, this is Bethesda. Their game, their engine. They have people who know how to do this stuff. They are not doing it. I ended up re rebuying because I'd played on pre- 360 previously, rebuying it, the Ultimate Edition, so that I could play it before this podcast. That, that's my choice. That's why I'm not complaining about rebuying it. I, I have done that because I can't go to the PC to play it because I run Windows 10. I shouldn't have to reformat, reinstall, roll back my system to a previous version of its operating system to get a game to work. Apologies to listeners if that sounds like I'm being harsh or unfair. Or It's not on. It really isn't. You don't get to abandon your game when you are one of the most successful and presumably wealthiest video game publishing companies still going and expect people to still trust that you'll, that you'll look after them with Fallout 4 or Dishonored 2 when it comes out or whatever the next Elder Scrolls game that they're presumably going to be releasing in a few years time is going to be it's pathetic frankly anyway that's about the harshest thing i have to say about this game (laughs) (laughs) reviews wise i don't think there's anything of note particularly to say uh except that interestingly it sits at i specifically know this because of the next thing i'm going to mention 84 on metacritic Uh because there was a bonus in obsidian's contract to say that they would uh, that was contingent upon a metacritic rating of 85 or above it's crazy. My my initial reaction to it is always, well, they chose to agree to that bonus, and I, I am sure Obsidian felt they had to take. You know, that's a compromise. They have to take constraints. They would rather not, but in order to get the job, they tendered for this work. Presumably, you know, uh, they were contracted to do it. I am sure there's stuff in that contract they'd rather wasn't, and this is probably one of those things. It, it does equally well seem incredibly ridiculous that Metacritic, the way it calculates its rankings to many people is ephemera you know there are a bunch of scores go in there is an overall ranking comes out it's not weighted evenly across every review therefore your bonuses your company in the case of obsidian potentially its future its financial safety is in the hands of how metacritic weighs up ratings for for a game it seems bizarre it was a big controversy uh when this about a year afterwards i think probably it was this um contingent uh, in the in the contract was made known. It seems not to have become standard practice. I think maybe because of the negative press that this got at the time. But uh, we we obviously couldn't talk about the game without mentioning it because in the kind of post mortem period after the game comes out, this came up uh, and and obviously people at Obsidian missed out on uh, personal bonuses, but the company missed out on presumably a, a significant chunk of money that would have secured their future. It's time to hear your thoughts on Fallout New Vegas. There are multiple ways you can have your opinions included on the show. The first of which is to send us uh, an email to 
podcast at canaanrinse.com on or preferably before the day of recording. The second way is via the podcast discussion thread that Jay kindly set up on our wonderfully friendly forums. In that thread, you'll find discussion topics for each game on the upcoming schedule. Again, on day of recording, we'll choose some of those posts to include in the show. We had an awful lot of really excellent community input for New Vegas, so I've shortened some of the following posts to try and squeeze in as many as possible. Sadly, I still couldn't fit all of your posts in due to just how much there is to cover for this game. The first post was actually made back in February, so you can see just how far before recording some of the uh, community members have decided to, or been able to, leave their thoughts. This one's from Connor Roddy, who says... My initial experience of playing the game wasn't the immediate sense of wonder and freedom I felt when emerging from the vault in Fallout 3, or even leaving the sewer sewer in oblivion. Fallout New Vegas had more of a linear beginning. Consequently, I didn't initially enjoy the game as much as I was expecting. However, once I had got past the change of style, I came to love this title and really appreciate its improvements over Fallout 3, which aren't initially apparent. The clearest improvement is the overall quality of writing and quest structure thanks to the stellar Obsidian, who are experts in the RPG genre. Initially, it seems to be a simple fight between the good guys, NCR, and the bad guys, Caesar's Legion. However, as you progress further into the plot, you learn that the NCR aren't all good and the Legion aren't all bad. The option of siding with Mr. House or going independent makes decisions in the latter third of the game genuinely difficult when the fate of the Mojave is in your hands. Fallout New Vegas reserves a permanent place in my installed games section on Steam thanks to the plethora of interesting and diverse mods available that can really change the way the game plays and give me a reason to roll a new character. A particular favourite of mine is Project Nevada, which added a whole host of mechanics including sprint, visors for helmets, a dedicated grenade hotkey, etc., many of which have been implemented by Bethesda themselves in Fallout 4. Overall, I loved this game. It remains one of my favourite RPGs of all time, while also opening my eyes to the advantages of PC gaming. While I enjoyed the recent Fallout 4 and loved Fallout 3 at the time, neither of these games offers the same superb narrative and role-playing experience of New Vegas and I hope that the people at Obsidian are given Bethesda's sandbox once again to show how it's done. Uh, Next one from The Emailer. I finally dived into New Vegas in 2015, nearly five years after release. To sum up, I enjoyed the game for 40 hours, but a frustrating and trudging start, mediocre shooting, and far too frequent bugs mean I'm happy I only paid a tenner. Simply put, the series pedigree and scope of the game don't don't forgive frequent game-breaking bugs still present four years after release. Sure, mods can and did fix this, but the base game should work. My my PC is pretty decent by today's standards, but without 4 gigs of RAM and stability mods, it ran very poorly. On the positive side, some of the writing and quests are superbly engaging. There's a real sense of character in the world, and the range of moralities are interesting. There's value in the sheer scope of content and how player choice makes more than superficial differences. 15 hours in, with mods on maps, guns, graphics, hacking, etc., I was having a blast. It's not an easy game to get into, the systems aren't intuitive, the shooting somehow feels poor compared to peers, the initial character build makes you choose abilities before knowing how they affect gameplay. I chose energy weapon stats over guns, and in early game I found myself wandering through the drab, empty and brown wilderness, desperately trying to avoid overpowered enemies. And don't get me started on melee, it feels so awkward and fiddly, but at level 10, with places to fast travel to, suddenly the game blossomed. Thank you very much. Uh, Mauricio MM says, I started Fallout New Vegas a bit after the last DLC launched worldwide because I wanted to experience the game at its fullest and as bug-free as possible. 
The first few hours felt a little off for me. The cowboy setting of Good Springs wasn't as exciting as the surroundings of Vault 101. The graphic quality wasn't great at all. The mechanics in general were good, but could have been so much more. And even though gambling was fun, I can't remember anything about Caravan. I'm not sure why. Was it hard, boring, or both? Nonetheless, as I explored each town, clashed with gangs and monsters, got to meet many inhabitants, got better armour and weapons, modded my guns, sneaked around, hacked terminals and checked every nook and cranny for treasures and secrets. My enthusiasm rapidly grew and every minute I spent in the game felt more entertaining and interesting than the last one. I even started to immediately love some of its small details, like that energy guns were a more viable option this time around, and that skills played a more important role in conversations. Then I got to meet the unexpectedly upbeat Edie, the brooding Boone, the geeky Veronica, the fiery Cass, the sarcastic Raoul, and the rest of the tragicomic but awesome gang. Thanks to the acting and writing, mostly in their personal quests, I consider the companions in this game as interesting and deep as the ones in the best Bioware games, and that's no small compliment. I would have loved to see them interact more with each other, but I still appreciated their presence. Uh, Another from Telepri, who says... I'll say that I preferred Fallout 3 to New Vegas, but really they're the same game to me. 3 just came out first, so I spent more time with it. The intro to New Vegas is pretty cool. I'd argue 3's is cooler, albeit longer, though something can be said for the brevity of New Vegas' intro when compared to growing up in the vault. I didn't get much further in the story than the intro. I can remember talking to someone in a gas station and coming across a friendly super mutant. So you find people might wonder... What did you possibly do that you think you can come here spouting off opinions if you barely even remember talking to that guy in the gas station? Though I'm sure your wonderings are more eloquent than I make them sound, they probably sound more British at the very least. Well, I'll tell you what I did. I killed people. For me, New Vegas was an entertaining open-world shooter. I enjoyed creating characters and building rich backstories in my mind to explain away the fact that they were all complete psychopaths. Each character usually specialised in a different type of combat, with basic lockpicking and computer skills to go along with it. My personal favourite style was, if I remember correctly, explosives and unarmed. And if I may reach further into five-year-old memories, I believe that particular character's name was Bruce. I can't remember how far I explored on any of my murderous adventures, but I do remember a town with a roller coaster and a prison where I left no survivors. I don't have a whole lot more insight about the game. Just that it was a fun way to spend time and the combat always felt satisfying. From Tadinho, when it was announced that Fallout New Vegas was being made by Obsidian, I was on the fence. On one hand, this was former Black Isle members who worked on the original games. On the other, Obsidian's record wasn't exactly stellar, so I wondered how New Vegas was going to turn out. I decided to pick it up anyway, which was a great decision. To get the negatives out of the way, the game was a bug-riddled mess at launch, didn't look very good, and lastly, Cazadors, until recently, those flying abominations were my most hated enemy in any RPG I'd played. On the positive side, gameplay-wise, the game improves on nearly every aspect from 3, with more interesting combat, weapon customization, and way less reliance on VATs. There's a more impactful progression system, and a great survival mode that became the only way I play. Where the game truly shines, though, is in its writing, and how perfectly it captures and continues the Fallout universe from 1 and 2. New Vegas not only continues much of the world and factions of the first two games, but also the themes of those games, which were at their core about communities. New Vegas takes that concept and a protagonist with no allegiance and asks them to learn about the factions and make decisions to help or hinder each in a world of questionable morality. As a result, the main quest was one of the most interesting and enjoyable parts of the game, because it's not about saving the world, it's about the geopolitical future of a region. 
The game isn't solely about the political chessboard, though, and the quests range from crazy and bizarre, like the cult of ghouls that want to go to space, or the super mutant that needs its robotic baby sister back, to more thoughtful and serious topics like dealing with the mental issues of the Nightkin in Jacobstown, or the socio-economic clashes in Freeside, and even prisoner ethics with the Powder Gangers. I could go on for hours about every every interesting quest, storyline, and NPC, but suffice to say that New Vegas surpassed my most lofty expectations. It perfectly captures and expands upon the story and world of Fallout 1 and 2, while injecting new ideas and sensibilities. New Vegas is, to my mind, the true Fallout 3 in every sense of the word, and I can only hope that Bethesda lets Obsidian work on another game in the franchise, because that would make me happier than the announcement of 100 Fallout 4s. Uh, Glenn Watts, Flabio, says, Some open-world games are more open than others. Fallout 3, Oblivion, Skyrim are mostly undirected. Their main quest lines start off with go to that place at some point to pick up the thread, but beyond that, do nothing to channel you in any particular direction. You'll eventually reach areas too hard for your current level, but you can wander a very long way before you hit anything like that. New Vegas, on the other hand, is much firmer in directing the players through the initial 20 hours or so of the game. There's a path through the world they want you to be taking, a spiral starting south, then going east, north, and west into New Vegas. If you deviate from it much at all, you'll hit barriers and essentially be steered back onto the path. Some are literal barriers. You can hit the edge of the world quite quickly if you go west from the start or further south than they want you to. Others are more vague. If you go north from the start position, you'll quickly be overwhelmed by death claws. Thing is, a lot of players aren't going to notice the difference. If you play Fallout 3 by just following the main quest blips, it'll feel the same to you as playing New Vegas does. The difference is that Obsidian have a more complex narrative in their game and therefore want you to be to not be able to sequence break it so much. In general, Obsidian games are much bigger on the lots of ways to approach this quest style of open world than they are lots of things to do at once style. They're also fans of making player actions have more consequences than is traditional in open world games. Their best work on that front is still Alpha Protocol, one of the finest examples of everything you do and the order you do them affects things that happen later. Is New Vegas a better game than Fallout 3? I think it is, but I can see why this more directed quest flow might annoy people more used to Bethesda's here's the world, go play in it approach. Uh, Our final piece of community feedback is from Andrew Brown. I met her in a bar beneath a twisted statue commemorating the expansionist tendencies of the imperialist New California Republic. Rose of Sharon Cassidy, an NCR girl born and bred, but I wasn't about to hold that against her. It took some time to win her over, but after dooming the Van Graaff family to a web of NCR bureaucracy, she came around. From there, our adventures in the Mojave Wasteland were a booze fueled orgy of explosions, shotguns and murder. They say that patrolling the Mojave almost makes you wish for a nuclear winter, but over time I came to think that a nuclear winter might be preferable. To the west, the NCR, a bloated monster grabbing whatever lies next to it in its greedy tendrils. The NCR people aren't a bad lot really, just folks as the saying goes, swept up in a cause they were strong-armed into, bitterly loyal to a corrupt system. To the east, Caesar's Legion, a murderous autocracy ruled over by a hypocrite with a god complex. These guys are so cartoonish they make the NCR seem like like classic good guys in comparison. It takes a truly twisted morality to side with them at all. And lording over it all is Mr. House's gaudy tower, a monument to his shortcomings. I owe my allegiance to none of them, playing them against each other as it amused me. I could tell Cass favoured the NCR, but she didn't object as I undermined all three parties. No gods, no masters, she muttered with just a hint of bitterness. 
Maybe that's just the booze talking. New Vegas is the pearl of the Mojave, a sand trap we are drawn into for days at a time, even when it feels like I'm not accomplishing much and would rather be out in the wasteland exercising my trigger finger. The grind and politic of life in the big city feels like an obligation I cannot refuse. Life outside the city is more interesting. I swear I was kidnapped and had my brain removed by robots at one point, but Cass insists I just had some bad moonshine. And yet that life is still ruled by the city. It sits in the centre of the wasteland and all my adventures seem to be a slow circle around it. Cass and I are a plug caught in the swirling waters of a drain, or else a magnet trying to escape its pair. We strain to leave that drab, boring, disappointing city, but always find ourselves drawn back there. Come visit beautiful New Vegas, the posters will read. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Which isn't to say that life outside the city is completely boring. Aside from the conflict at Hoover Dam between the NCR and the Legion, there's a motley assortment of freaks and oddities living their own lives. There's paranoid, xenophobic and self-centred boomers. The Brotherhood of Steel, basically the boomers without a sense of humour. The Cans, the last survivors of a way of life being stomped out by the likes of the NCR, the Legion and House. Civilization putting down barbarity through its own means. A refuge for the super mutants hides in the mountains, friendly but monstrous. There's even the last stronghold of the treacherous enclave for those brave enough to seek them. Through all of these adventures I find myself at long last dealing with Mr. House. Caesar's legion proves simple enough to massacre, the blustering NCR will soon be impotent. Benny, the droning fool, was closer to the mark than he knew. He just didn't have the skill or fortitude to see it through. I do, and now I stand over House's preservation chamber ready to pull the plug. I still remember meeting him for the first time, his pre-war photograph flickering on a massive screen while he informed me that I was now working for him. It was an impressive moment, but I was not drawn in by his grandiose ego. The house always win, I mutter as I pull the plug, leaving him to fester in his own bacteria. The job done, I head outside, back to New Vegas, the town I have liberated but only want to escape. House's army of Securitrons is now mine, the city is now mine. I have freed it from its tormentors, returned control of the dam to the people. That was all my doing. Cass is there, waiting for me. She could go home, but she doesn't. I wonder why. No gods, no masters, she says, as one of my Securitrons chases a drunk off the strip. I hope that's just the booze talking. Thank you very, very much. As I say, lots of really excellent feedback. um, And uh, just apologies that we couldn't fit all of it in uh, much as we would like to. Uh, So we have three word reviews Uh, on day of recording. We tweet out uh, generally from at Kane Rince or retweeted by that account uh, asking for your reviews of the game in question, in this case Fallout New Vegas, in exactly three words. Brad Galloway says, Obsidian, come back. Cronenberg Morty says, it won't run. Ryan Sandry says, Obsidian, Bethesda's superiors. Good Lord, Varys says, Fallout 2 sequel. Martin Charlton says crucify chandler bing that's harsh uh another on the the same tone i suppose alan brown says matthew perry bland alexander kovalev says browntown abbey spencer saunders says story what story todinho says jingle jangle jingle mauricio mm says quintessential fallout experience Gary Butterfield, writing actually matters. Paul Curran, buggy but brilliant. So that's what you thought of Fallout New Vegas. Uh, It's time for us to tell you what we thought of Fallout New Vegas, if it hasn't been apparent throughout. 
Josh, would you like to kick us off with your summary of the game? I think Fallout New Vegas is a flawed game that has some qualities that mm-hmm. allow me to completely ignore the flaws. <laughs> the, the technical stuff is a huge problem. But when the game is running smoothly and and you're interacting with these characters and these factions, it is one of the most compelling clashes of superpowers I've seen depicted in a video game. Like the feeling of the moral ambiguity of every action you're taking and the tension of every action you're taking and every choice you're making makes this one of the most memorable conflicts I've been a part of in a video game. And the fact that I feel so sorry for um, the Great Khans and and all of the kind of um, factions that are kind of just adjacent to this Clash of Titans... I think speaks volumes to how well they've conveyed the feeling of war and the feeling of backstabbery and and backroom politics and all of that stuff. I think New Vegas from a, you know, purely from a writing perspective is an absolute triumph. It's, it's hugely successful in this department and that's not even mentioning all the fantastic side quests and little corners of the world that have you know compelling characters as well the worlds that uh, bethesda created in skyrim fallout 4 and fallout 3 just the environments are maybe more appealing to me and the perfect fallout game for me would be kind of the combination of obsidian skills with Bethesda's skills, but then I think, wait, that already exists. It's called CD Projekt Red, and that game's The Witcher 3. I really do recommend um, New Vegas if you can get it to run. Um, it's it, it's a massively compelling um, narrative experience. From my perspective, I have this weird relationship with Follow New Vegas in that I played it in the month of release, and maybe because I chose hardcore mode, something about it just didn't enthuse me quite as much at the time but then in the years since the stories the quests in this game the characters like arcade israel ganon like uh rex um and and companions in particular but all of a lot of the characters that you meet and the factions have grown in stature in my mind and so i have this weird situation where i i know the playing of it wasn't fantastic but the memory of it, the feeling of it, the the atmosphere of the game and the, the tone we talked about with the kind of 50s Vegas scene and uh, all the factions just put it in this place where I was so looking forward to tucking back into it uh, and a little disappointed I couldn't do it on PC, but it's on Xbox One backwards compatibility that's easily, you know, uh, easily played. But I kind of feel like a bit like I did when I played Fallout 4 last year, like I've moved on from this style of game and what impressed me so greatly about Fallout 3 in 2008 and still impressed me uh, in 2010 when I played New Vegas about the prospect of the open world and just wandering around and uh, you know shuttling backwards and forwards to sell stuff and just being able to experience everything. It feels a little empty now and I can't explain why. It doesn't change my my growing memory of how great this game uh, is in the storytelling and the dark humour that is just 
constantly bubbling under the surface and just uh, there, never laugh out loud, but always kind of like gently nudging you and reminding you that this is tragicomic as as much as anything. You know, there's a lot of uh, death and depravity and tragedy in this game, but there's there's humour there and there's warmth there as well in a lot of the characters and the stories as we've talked about. So it doesn't dull any of that, but I found myself going from I want to play through as much of this game as I can before we record to I'll, I'll just remind myself of this game before we record and that, that'll be fine. Because certainly with Fallout 4, I didn't fancy playing much of that before I, I moved away from it. An, an odd one for me, but one that I, I'm really glad we, we talked about. Sean? Weird. I, I kind of have the, the, the inverse uh, reaction to you, J- uh, James, about playing it now in 2016. I um, uh, Titanfall 2, as a recording, just came out yesterday, and I kind of just want to go back to continuing playing New Vegas as much as I'm enjoying Titanfall 2. I don't know. It's something about the way that these games are constructed and the feeling of, of the exploration in these games that really appeals to me. Even with Fallout 4, as, as, as disappointing as that game is, it's still, I just love the feeling of, of the way this feeling of exploration in these games. Yeah, and yeah. it's maybe dampened, dampened a little bit in this one because of the choice of location. You know, there's a desert isn't always going to be the most exciting uh, area to explore, I guess. But there, as we said earlier, their sound design is really strong, and and um, the story, especially, like just the amount of freedom that's in this game, it's uh, something that's super impressive. And I, for that reason alone, I highly recommend anybody mm-hmm. give it a shot. And uh, yeah, worth saying that if if you're not sure, you can yeah. play it on PC. Xbox One backwards sure. compatibility is probably the way to go, given the PS3 version. Yeah, problems that uh, that you had. That's us for issue 246. Next time, issue 247, Tony will be deciding just how much kudos to award Bizarre Creations for their 16-year-old Project Gotham Racing progenitor. It's Metropolis Street Racer. yippee there'll be no wedding bells for today I got spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle Jingle, jangle As I go riding merrily along Jingle, jangle And they sing, oh, ain't you glad you're single Jingle, jangle And that song ain't so very far from wrong Jingle, jangle Oh, Lily Bell Oh, Lily Bell Oh, Lily Bell Oh, Lily Bell Though I may have done some fooling, this is why I never...